Hi there, it's Keith, creator of the Book of Constellations. All 16 episodes of Chapter 1 are now available for you to listen to, but the story isn't over yet. We have some fun new things coming for the show, and the best way to find out about them is to sign up for our newsletter. It'll have information about special events, announcements, merchandise, and other shows we've been working on. Plus, you'll get exclusive commentary and behind-the-scenes information not found elsewhere. To sign up, visit bookofconstellations.com, and let's stay connected. Book of Constellations Written, produced, and performed by W. Keith Timms Chapter 1, Verse 4 So now you know how Rael and I met, and how I ended up being his chauffeur. A lot of people ask me why it took us a while to get to the capital. I mean, it's only a few hours' drive from the coast. Well, there are lots of reasons. First off, we're in my old RV, not a sports car. I'm lucky to break 60 on flat ground, and I don't like to push her too hard. She chugs and sputters enough as it is. Also, let's not forget that the Theta Group is after us, and a vehicle like mine doesn't really blend in. And... Well, there may be the fact that I haven't renewed the license on the RV in a couple of years. Just one of those things that had to go by the wayside when the money evaporated. So, I decided to stay off the highways and make our way west through the back roads. Well, I said I decided. In truth, often it was Rael telling me where to go. A lot of the time we spent on the road was in silence, especially once we had sort of fallen into a routine. I mentioned before that we do most of our driving at night, so there would be these long stretches as the dark country roads drifted by our windows when we wouldn't say anything to each other at all. I never could tell if he was sleeping or meditating or just focused on something else, someplace else his mind racing ahead of us to scout the way. Or maybe he was sifting through memories, looking for little gems of comfort or insight. But even so, during these long stretches of silence, every once in a while he'd say, Turn here, or we should head south to the next town. Stuff like that. Now, sometimes the why of these instructions would become obvious in time. Sometimes they wouldn't. Even back then, I had a suspicion that he was somehow steering us away from police or Theta Group or other people that might be looking for us. Was it wishful thinking again? Well, I'll tell you, I saw many strange wonders in my time with him, and I have come to believe that at least half of them couldn't just be coincidence or happenstance. The other half, I don't know. Maybe we got lucky more than our due. Or maybe the world just sensed his mission and did its best to help him along. You know, the stories about him now, after the fact, told by people who weren't there, they get wilder and crazier every time I hear them. 
I don't blame people for thinking he was a cult leader or using grifter's tricks. Or, or that I was brainwashed or something. I get it. And I'd be lying if some little corner of my brain ain't still gnawing away at me, worried about being taken for a fool. But he'd saved my life. He'd known things about Gary and Doreen he had no right to know. And this Theta group, what the hell were they and why did they come for him? He was just so strange that it seemed appropriate when the world got strange around him. I think that's part of what he does. Our world doesn't know how to deal with someone like him. He's a burr under the saddle, the grain of sand in the oyster. Like, you know how you get an itch between your shoulder blades and you just can't quite scratch it? So you end up contorting yourself into these strange shapes, rubbing against furniture or walls or whatever, just to get at it? I think our world got so disrupted by him that it twisted itself up to deal with him. The good and the bad came out around us. Figures from a funhouse mirror. Uh, I don't know. The point... The point... (coughs) (coughs) The point is I never really thought to contradict him about changes in direction or unusual requests. It's not like I had any grand ideas for what this road trip was about. So I did what he asked. In fact, the first time he asked me to change course was on our first day on the road. And considering who he led us to, I never questioned it again. We leave Doreen and Gary at Forks Pier and get underway. I'm following the coast for a while, heading for one of the state highways that leads west away from the water and toward the hills. The sun comes up over the ocean. Skies are clear and everything was turning shades of pink and orange. Rail sits cross-legged in the passenger seat, his eyes hidden behind his sunglasses. As the light got brighter, I noticed that he seemed a little uncomfortable, tense, leaning back in the chair to stay in shadow as much as he could. You all right? I ask him. He nods once. Are you sure? He says, the sunlight is uncomfortable, but I can manage. I offered to stop, even suggest he go to the back of the RV where there's more shade, but he says he'll be fine. Honestly, I want to put some more distance between us and the diner anyway. But shortly thereafter, Rail says, When you reach the highway, continue south. What? I ask. Why? I thought you said you wanted to go west. There is something we should do first. Okay, I say. What is it? Rail shakes his head long bangs spilling over his face a bit. I don't know yet. Like I said, this is going to become a habit with me and Rael. He's going to say something strange and inscrutable and ask me to do something that doesn't make any sense. And I'll go along with it anyway. I have no desire to be captain on this trip. Helmsman is enough. But, of course, there's the other unaddressed issue. I have to know. I have to ask. So, uh, Rael, is that a, what is that? Is that a a Spanish name or something? He smiles very faintly at that as he rests back in the passenger seat, his arms hidden under his wool poncho. Not in my case, no. So, you're not Hispanic? I am not, he says. What are you then? 
He turns to look at me, just slightly. I am me. Is that not enough? Well, no, you're right. I, uh, I don't mean anything by it. Just, you know, you don't look like, um, you're from around here. He goes back to watching the road. Everyone is from somewhere, Simon. Yeah, okay, but where... I almost can't finish the question, because even as the words form in my mouth, the ridiculousness of them embarrasses me, and because I'm afraid of what he'll say. Where are you from? He doesn't answer right away. The shadows of trees fall over his face as we drive along. It's like he's debating what to say. The answer will not satisfy you, he says. You will not believe it. Why not? Because you still wonder if I am mentally disturbed, if you are humoring a delusional soul, and that ultimately you will seem a fool for coming with me. Well, he had me there. But I still have to know. Maybe you're right. But you knew all those things about Doreen and Gary. You saved my life. You made that Transformer explode, didn't you? Transformers explode sometimes, Simon. It could have been a fortunate coincidence. Yeah, too damn fortunate. The timing was perfect. And let's not forget that paramilitary organizations don't hunt down escaped mental patients. Perhaps if they were dangerous enough, they might. Look, you're not doing a very good job of dispelling my doubts, Rael. His lips purse into a tight frown for a moment as he shifts in the chair. If I tell you, will you abandon me? He watches me then, and even from behind those sunglasses, I can see how vulnerable and alone he feels. I wonder how many people he's approached, how many times he's tried to make a connection before he found me, how many doors have been slammed in his face. No, I say, I won't abandon you. Look, I figure I owe you to listen to what you say, at least. And and even if I do end up thinking you're crazy, well, I owe you enough to drive you around a little while while I figure out how to get you some help. All right. I'll tell you. Rail says, You are right. I'm not from around here. Where are you from? It doesn't exist anymore. What do you mean? Generations ago, The darkness came and took root in my people. Slowly it spread, first into their minds, and then into the air, the water, the land, and everything they built. Spread? Like a a virus? It is a good enough analogy, though it is not a microbe, nor mindless like a virus. I believe it is an ancient civilization, perhaps even the first civilization, So changed by the eons, it exists differently than you or I. It is a subtle and jealous intelligence, bent on enslaving free minds to its collective will. Enslave people to do what? To become undone, slowly and over generations. To turn against one another, even against oneself. It feeds on self-inflicted ruin If the advancement of a civilization is a construction of potential, a pouring of energy into new ideas, forms, art, and science, 
then the darkness seeks to undo all of those things and feast on the energy so released. People sicken and die. Technology is lost. Art and ideas are banished. All so the darkness may feed. Okay, it's a lot to process. But in for a penny, in for the whole damn dollar. And you think the darkness is here on, uh, uh, on, in the people here. Yes, he says. I have seen the signs. It has already spread far, but I believe it is not too late. And you think the darkness is in the governor? Yes, among others. You saw him on the television in the diner. Possibly it is also in that TV host he was with. The darkness takes root in influential people so it may spread easier. But what makes you think he's got the darkness in him? Because Doreen became trapped in poverty and saw no way out. Because you were left to die. Because he is like other leaders from my home, whom people followed into the undoing, a path of de-evolution, of stagnation, then regression, of fear and anger. Only the darkness can convince people to willingly act against themselves. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> that just sounds like human nature to me. He says, Oh, Simon, what a cynical and short-sighted view. Look at how far human nature has brought you in your short time. You struggle, and will struggle still. But you are capable of such genius and beauty and compassion that the universe rarely sees. I have to point out, and great cruelty and suffering. So it is with all things. And your future is not promised. But how much harder will it be with the darkness here, pushing you toward your ruin? He rests his head back against the seat, and for a moment I think he's finished. I imagine him with his eyes closed, maybe even trying to sleep. But when he continues, his voice is soft. I was there for the end. I watched the last of us, a few still free, fighting even into the last hours for some solution, some respite, amid the broken ideas, the poisoned air, and the dead in the streets. But the end came to us all, one by one. We didn't have the time. We started too late. The darkness opened its jaws, and we laid down amongst its teeth and congratulated each other as we did. And now, I am all that is left. I will not let that happen again. Gotta be honest with you here. Part of me thought all this was crazy, you know. And if Rael was anyone other than who he was, and I hadn't been through what I'd been through with him in the span of one day, I would have completely written him off as a nut. But I have to tell you, there was something in his voice, something in the way he made that little vow sound so sincere that I believed him, or at least that his intentions were true. We drive on a little while in silence, then I ask, so let's say we do somehow manage to get to the governor. How do we fight the darkness? I don't know, but I will think of something. The darkness must be confronted. You're not gonna hurt him, are you? He doesn't answer right away. 
Rael, you're not gonna hurt him, are you? I don't want to hurt anyone. Which of course doesn't answer my question. But my legs are really starting to hurt now, and I'm tired, haven't been up all night, and that cup of coffee at Lulu's is wearing off. I got a lot to think about. Rael doesn't volunteer anything more, so I leave it alone and say, Look, I'm beat, and I could use a rest. Why don't we find some place to pull off for a while? I could take a nap, you can get out of the sunlight. He agrees. So at the next little town, I pull off into a shopping center parking lot, draw the blinds, manage to fall asleep. Rael sits at the little table in the kitchen area, cross-legged and still. He's still like that when I wake up much later, like he hadn't even moved. I should have a lot on my mind when I wake up, but the truth is most of my attention was on my hips and legs. The pain was bad. If anything, it was worse after my nap. I must have made all kinds of noise just trying to sit up because Rael was watching me as I pulled the curtain back from the bed and stumbled my way over, leaned against the wall for support. Are you all right, Simon? He asks. Uh, Just overdid it yesterday. All the running and then driving and such. Uh, I'll take a few painkillers and it should be fine. This is kind of a lie. Sometimes anti-inflammatories take the edge off, but mostly they don't do a thing if it gets really bad. But Rael doesn't have to know that. Did you sleep any? Of a sort, he says. Outside, the sun is going down and the shadows are starting to creep over the world. I must have been out of it. Are you hungry? I ask. He shrugs. Well, I am. There's a grocery store right over there and we can get a few things for the road. I, uh, I don't suppose you have any money. No. Why? Somehow I'm not surprised. Uh, that's okay. I I have maybe 80 bucks left from my last disability check. We got half a tank of gas, and we'll figure it out. How much money do we need? I don't know, it's near a hundred to fill up the tank, a little more for food on the way. He nods once. All right. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but over time I just learned that Rael is going to be Rael, and it's probably easier just to roll with it. Hey, uh, there's something else. Uh, Do you want to borrow a shirt? That wool poncho might be scratchy on your bare skin. I don't know if my shoes will fit or not, but I got a pair of old canvas sneakers. They're kind of beat up, but it's got to be better than walking around in your bare feet. Rail glances down at himself as if none of this had occurred to him. If you think so, then yes. Okay. And maybe in the grocery store you can go to the bathroom and, you know, clean yourself up a little. He stares at me like he doesn't understand. I mean... You look like you've been running cross-country for a while. Just, you know, wash your face, comb your hair. Might feel better. All right, Simon. I will. I give Rael my old black sneakers and a long-sleeved dark blue tee and make a mental note to hit a goodwill at some point try to see about getting him some jeans. He still wears that poncho over everything, though. I dry swallow four ibuprofen and we head over to the supermarket. After I point rail to the bathroom, I start grabbing stuff for the road, trying to be frugal. I don't know when I'll have power, so I can't buy anything that needs refrigeration. I do have a little gas stove, though. So, a couple of gallons of water, bread, peanut butter, ramen, coffee. You know, the essentials. It occurs to me that, uh, well, if what he says is true about where he's from, 
then I have no idea what he eats, or, or if he eats, or if he has allergies, or if his taste buds are all strange, or, or if he has taste buds. But I guess he would have said something. I have to admit, I'm, I'm leaning pretty heavily on the shopping cart. It feels like a bad spell coming on, and I don't think those ibuprofen are going to do much good. Rail might have picked a bad chauffeur. When it gets like this, driving becomes excruciating. Hell, everything is. But I am determined to try. I don't know how, but he does that to people. A little hope is a powerful thing. I'm in the health and beauty aisle now. I grab a comb, toothbrush, toothpaste for Rael. I mean, no, he's got teeth at least. I'm looking at the shelves upon shelves of body wash now, which is always a little surreal. I mean, how many kinds of soap does the human race need? That's when I hear a commotion coming from the other end of the aisle. There's a group of high school kids down among the cosmetics. Boys, I think. One of them is thinner, smaller, probably younger, has long black hair. But the other three have that cocky, masculine posture some teen boys like to adopt when they gotta tell the world how tough they are. They got baggy shorts, brimmed caps. The smaller one is in basic khakis, white buttoned down, pretty nondescript. But he does have, like, a dozen of these colorful friendship bracelets up and down his left forearm. One of the boys, who has dark skin like his, is getting right up in his face, looming over him. His voice is loud, though I can't quite make out what he's saying. He has a face full of fury, though. The smaller one isn't looking at him. He's got this stony expression, jaw set, just taking it from the bigger boy. The other two boys are smirking, sneering, floating around somewhere between anger, disgust, and cruel mirth. But then the tall one says, I can't believe you're such a... Okay, I'm not going to say that word. It's a common slur for gay people. I'm sure you can figure it out. And the tall one shoves the smaller one hard. Hard enough to send him crashing to the ground. And for the collection of cosmetics he is holding in his arms to go spilling across the floor. So, I absorbed a lot of stupid ideas about gay people when I was younger. Considering where and when I grew up. The whole LGBTQ thing. I'm going to be honest with you, some of that becomes habit. A lot of it I jettisoned over the years when I realized I had no reason to hold on to it. But one thing traveling with Rael has taught me is that habits have to be challenged. They live in our blind spots, push us to thoughtless actions and pull us away so we don't see the consequences. I guess my point is that I'm, I'm trying. But my reaction to watching that kid get knocked over like that was just anger. I mean, slur or not, who does that? I yelled down at the group, Hey, back off. I uh, may have added a few colorful aphorisms to the end of that. The furious boy with his clenched fists and boiling dark eyes looks up at me and shouts back, Mind your own business. But my distraction was enough, and the kid on the ground lifts his foot and shoots his heels straight out catching the big guy right between the legs. I mean, right on target. He goes down, gasping and clutching his abdomen. The little one is up like a shot and bolting down the aisle toward me. The wounded boy sends his toadies after him. They sprint, their hundred-dollar sneakers squeaking and pounding on the supermarket floor. The smaller boy runs past, doesn't even notice me. He's running for his life, his long hair flowing behind him. 
I get a glimpse of his face, South Asian, I think. But then he's gone past me in a rush of air that smells a little of lotion. The two stupid high school boys are close behind, so I decide to give the kid a little help. I push my cart and myself in their way. Which, now that I think about it, was kind of foolish. But, you know, just one of those boys weighs almost twice as much as the little one, and there were three of them. And there was this look in their eyes like animals sporting for blood. The first one crashes into my cart, sending it jerking out of my hands and smashing into the shelves before rushing past. The other one slams into me. I go down and I land right on my hip. God, I cannot describe that pain. My vision clouds up and all I can do is writhe on the floor. He runs on, spitting some insult or something at me. It feels like this is it. I'm never going to walk again. But a minute later, there's Rael, kneeling beside me, his hand on my shoulder. Are you all right? He asks. Uh, I, I don't know, I say, curled up on the ground. There, there were these boys and... I know. I saw. Here, can you stand? It takes a few minutes, but the pain subsides enough that I can get up again. Rael is surprisingly strong for his thin frame, lifting me with ease. He's also cleaned up a bit. Even his hair looks neater. I hobble over to the checkout and pay for the groceries. Rael seems distracted. He keeps looking off into the distance through the darkened store windows. I say, I'm sure he got away. He was fast. Bullies like that, they give up easy. But Rael shakes his head. No, they are still chasing. Do you remember what I said about what the darkness has done to the Theta group? Uh, something about it's taken away their compassion and restraint? Yes, it is the same here. What can we do? It's been like ten minutes. We don't know where they are. I do, he says. I can tell he's anxious, his placid veneer spoiled by nervous twitches of his fingers, pursed lips, and a constant attention to a spot somewhere in the dark far away. He wants to help. I ask him... Do you know how to drive? Not yet. All right. The darkness means they don't give up easily, right? So I guess we don't either. I'll drive. Back in the RV, he guides me down a few side roads and into a residential area until we get to a few overgrown lots next to a strip of farmland. Turn off your lights, pull over here. I do, parking in the shade of a big spreading live oak. We roll down the windows and listen. Rael is staring into the night with a look of intense concentration. I shift in my seat, doing my best to ignore the pain and whisper, So now what? But that's when I hear him. The farmland is planted with corn, but this late in the year the stalks are drying up, the neat rows broken and haphazard as the plants fade and die. The boys are moving through the rows, their phones in their hands, lights trained ahead of them. I hear one shout, Check over there! The one who got kicked in the jewels says, Kamar, I swear if you don't come out, I'm going to kill you. I look at Rael and whisper, How are we going to get rid of them? One of the boy's phones chimes, getting a text message. He says, Damn, that's my mom. I gotta go. The leader protests, Come on, man. We gotta find him and teach him that he can't act this way. That's when the third boy pipes up. What the hell? My phone just died. I thought I had plenty of charge. I can't see anything. 
The leader groans in frustration. Ugh, whatever. But you gotta come home sometime, Kumar. The three of them make their way out of the fields and walk down the road. They don't even seem to notice us under the shadow of the oak. When they're gone, Rael gets out and walks along a grassy ditch at the farm's edge, and I limp after him. Then he stops, looks down. There's the kid from the store, laying down in the ditch, looking up at the sky. Hello there, says Rael. The boy smirks a little. Would you believe I'm looking at the constellations? Rael says, holding out a hand to help him up. I might. I smile a little at the kid to reassure. Uh, you must be Kumar, son. With Rael's help, the kid stands up and brushes at his clothes and hair. No. My name is Satya, and I'm no one's son. Satya, Rael says, studying him, um, her, very carefully. We are going west to fight the darkness. Come with us. Oh, Lord. The Book of Constellations is written, produced, and performed by W. Keith Timms. Additional music in this episode includes Profound Mystery by John Bartman. The theme is Cycles by Pictures of the Floating World. Information about these artists can be found at bookofconstellations.com. Please spread the word about this show to others and consider making a donation at glow.fm slash bookofconstellations. Until next time. There's something new I want you to hear. It's called The First Episode Of, and it's a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. In each show, I listen to the first episode of an indie audio drama and then have a discussion with the creators about their methods, their struggles, and successes. It's great conversation for anyone interested in storytelling and creativity. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts or at thefirstepisodeof.com. Give it a listen.